Hi, welcome to JavaScript Jam. I am Ishan, co-founder and CTO at Layer Zero. And with me is Mark Bricado. Mark, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Mark Bricado, Vice President of Engineering at Layer Zero. And today we welcome Philip Brokowski, who is the co-founder and CTO of View Storefront, the lightning fast front-end platform uh, for e-commerce. Uh, Philip, why don't you say hello? Hey, hey, hello. Well, why don't we get started? Uh, just tell us about yourself, where you're calling in from, um, and a little bit about your background. And then we can get mm -hmm. into the storefront. Yeah, so like, I think I started coding when I was 13, something like this. And I started like, you know, with a standard stuff, websites about cats, stuff like this. Uh, but when I was 16, I started doing this professionally. Uh, my first websites uh, were actually also the very simple websites, but the first e-commerce websites I have built were on WooCommerce. And I was a WooCommerce freelancer for a couple of years until I got bored because the project were very repetitive. Of course, th there is kind of beauty in it because once you make like a, a certain amount of projects in WooCommerce, you are able to do crazy things in a very, very short time. So that was super cool, but at some point I just got bored. So I thought, okay, it's time to do something serious. Uh, it's time to, you know, join some e-commerce agency. And this is how I joined Divante, where I was working for more than three years. And in Divante, the first thing actually, I, I, I the first technology I worked with was Magento. And being completely honest, it wasn't what I was expecting. So I was expecting, you know, this really serious e-commerce development. Uh, and the reality was, it was a serious e-commerce development, but it was taking so much time to develop a very basic features. It was so complicated. And, you know, when I was originating from WooCommerce, where I was actually to drag and drop most of the things and code yeah. maybe just few of them. So it, 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 it was completely not what I was expecting. And that was also one of the reasons why actually we have created VStorefront because it was not only me, was frustrated. Actually, most of the you know front-end developers, they didn't like Magento that much because if you're a front-end developer and if you're a Magento front-end developer, these are completely different worlds. So if you're a Magento front-end developer, basically dealing with XMLs, uh, a little bit of JavaScript, but mostly outdated technologies. So in Magento 1, uh, it was Prototype.js. In Magento 2, it's Knockout.js like very old uh, yeah. technologies are not very widely used actually anywhere. That's fascinating. I, I remember Knockout. Now you're making me feel old. I thought Knockout was the jam <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good segue into to View Storefront. So give us an intro for folks that don't know View Storefront. What is it? Why should developers pick it? What are some of the benefits? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like in short words, View Storefront is basically a front end for e-commerce. So when I, right now we have this huge paradigm shift into headless e-commerce, into composable commerce. Uh, so we have all these APIs, but all these APIs need a front-end. So we start from this, this front-end. Uh, but building front-ends is becoming more and more complex over time. Like when, when you're building a headless uh, front-ends like five, six years ago, you're basically taking the JSON from the, from the API, displaying the results sometimes posting something and that's it right now they're as complex as, as you know as the, the backend applications and our customers also see this this is why there's new category on the market like this headless front ends or bodiless front ends basically 
and because <clears throat> because we are uh, we are the head, and we are trying to give customers a tool that is flexible enough to do anything they want, that is customizable enough to do anything they want, but at the same time, it's allowing you to do this in a very quick time. So that's, I think, the main issue right now with, uh, with a headless commerce. So whenever our clients or whenever anyone is choosing the set of headless technologies, they have to spend so, so much time on orchestrating all of that on the front-end layer. So we are providing them out-of-the-box integrations, boilerplates, uh, best practices, and like the architecture that is kind of like enforcing uh, some of the good practices to make sure that it's fairly easy for them to make those frontends, but also that these frontends will remain scalable and that these frontends will remain flexible because that's actually what Headless is all about, right? And I think we should mention View Storefront is, is open source. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys uh, just recently announced backing from, I'll let you say, you know, one of the most prominent incubators uh, in the startup space. Yeah, uh, so like if, 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 if you want to hear the history of this storefront, so it started, I think, more than three years ago yeah. uh, in an agency called Divante. So this is where we have started as an agency product and we haven't got any you know, monetization strategy back then. The only monetization strategy was, okay, so let's sell projects on this because we were at, in agency, it was pretty easy to do this. Uh, then it got pretty popular because we we're open source from the day zero and other agencies were joining people saw that this is solving their problems. And it got so popular to the degree that we saw it's too big for Divante actually, uh, that either we can make a product out of this or we will lose this potential. So we spun out as our own thing, uh, as VSF company. And shortly after that, we were backed by VC, Smog uh, and Movens. We, we got one and a half million uh, dollars of fund. And shortly after that, actually at the same day, uh, when we have signed papers with our VC, we came back to our homes. And then we had a second call with YC. So we had the first call the day before, and we knew that sometimes if they want, they need additional questions, they are asking you to have a second call. So we were prepared that, okay, so now that's another round of questions. Uh, when we came back home, uh, we joined the call, and then Jared Friedman let us know that we are now backed by YC. So that, that was a crazy story. At the same day, we signed papers with our VC and joined YC. Wow, that's exciting. Um, what are, what are some, you know, big sites that you can talk about that use, uh, view storefront and can you tell us a little bit about adoption? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our adoption actually grown very organically. So we had this huge deals that are, that were coming from Divante because we are trying, you know, to, uh, accelerate the growth and get the, the biggest clients possible. But at the same time, we had a community and the community was adopting view storefront for, uh, much smaller projects, but of the much bigger scale. So right now, I think we have more than 300 live shops. Uh, at least may maybe even more right now. Uh, and among the biggest ones, I think there's Daily Whale, a pretty no well-known fashion brand, international. There is also Zadik and Walter uh, from France. So they're also selling uh, lux lux luxury uh, clothes. And right now we entered a new space. So all of that was on Magento. 
And since this year, we are working closely with Commerce Tools as well. So Commerce Tools is actually targeting much bigger clients. So we have actually like we have much, much, much bigger projects on the pipeline right now uh, that soon will go live, but I, I can't tell about them yet. Well, so I want to ask you, I, you probably already said this, but remind me, how, when did um, View Storefront development start? Like when did you guys actually start the project? Yeah, so it was three years ago, uh, as far as I remember, it, okay. maybe a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, at, at the beginning, it was it was a side project. So the first year, like not that much happened during the first year. We we're just, you know, adding features, uh, asking people to join, etc. I think after the version 1.0, the traction started to be much, much bigger. Uh, we started to have much more partners. We started to appear on some conferences and then it was like, you know, a snowball effect. Because the reason I ask is I'm, I'm trying to place in the timeline of my memory when Vue, you know, became more widely accepted. Vue still pretty mm -hmm. new. Like what made you guys choose Vue over like a React or Angular or anything else out there? Mm-hmm. So it's funny because at that time we actually have started on React, uh, but so, okay, let, let me give you a context. So three years ago, when anyone was thinking about headless e-commerce and about implementing this, they were not dedicated teams for that. They were not dedicated front-end developers for that. Usually there was a back-end developer, uh, mostly working with PHP, Java, stuff like that, who happens to know a little bit of front-end. Uh, so React wasn't the best tool for them. It's a great framework, but it requires a lot of expertise to make things right. So we started with React so that it's not working very well because we started implementing this with our backend developers. And then we thought, okay, so like what else could we choose? And at that time there were two frameworks that were more like, like developer experience oriented. Uh, so there was Aurelia.js and Vue.js. And the funny thing is my technical leader at that time was pushing me into the direction of Aurelia.js, which right now is like a, a huge niche, I think. So we chose Vue. It was a bet, but at the same time, I was pretty confident that this is solving our problems. I also fell in love with Vue uh, at the first time I tried this because previously I used to work with AngularJS because there was no Angular 2 uh, at that time. Uh, so it was a huge, huge step forward in comparison to AngularJS. Uh, it took like the best parts from Angular and make them much easier to use. So I really like that. Uh, we started coding this, me and Piotr Karvatka, uh, my, my former boss, and he was also a backend developer. And he also grabbed Vue just, just like this. Hmm, it's really interesting. Like, do, you, do you have like an anecdote or something that would be illustrative of where a, a developer struggled, like a backend developer struggled with React that maybe surprised you or, or stood out and made you make that decision to look elsewhere? Yeah, so like the, the biggest problem they had was actually productivity and best practices. So, so it wasn't intuitive enough to know how to do things right. Uh, while Vue is, I, 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 th I, th I think it's much easier to do this because for the very basic things and basic flaws, there's usually just a single way of doing things. And the documentation is also very good. At that time, I think documentation was something that was standing out from the crowd in terms of view, why the React documentation wasn't that good. So, you know, it, it all 
boils down to learning curve and adoption among less experienced developers. At that time, that was the group that we were targeting. Uh, but I think it's still it's still a good choice considering our today's goals, because right now we are focusing on productivity, we are focusing on time to value, and Vue is also a great framework for that. But these days, the boundaries and differences between frameworks, they're not as much visible as, as, as a few years ago. Got it. So we had the, the guys, speaking of frameworks, we had the guys from Nux, the server-side rendering mm -hmm. framework for Vue. And I know that originally you, you guys weren't using Nux, but you've made that transition to using it. Can you tell us like what the motivations yes. were and what that process was like? Yeah, so we were in contact with Nux guys, I think from the very early days of vStorefront. And we were even talking about uh, doing vStorefront in Nux. Mm -hmm. uh, but at that time, Nux wasn't as much popular and it wasn't a safe bet. It was a great framework, but at that time it wasn't a safe bet. And since we were working in, in, in a big agency with enterprise customers, it was a risk. But over time, when we were building the storefront, Nux was growing as well. And we also realized that we came to the point where actually any new feature that we were adding was inspired by Nux because our users were demanding exactly the same functionalities. And we ended up building Nux by ourselves. We were even copying some of the APIs because like, now, why, why, why should we invent that from, from scratch? So when we decided that we want to do a rewrite, which is vStorefront 2, formerly called vStorefront Next, the obvious choice was, was to use Next. So I know in, in VSF 1, you used to have this elastic cache layer. Mm -hmm. And everything was based on that. And I think with VSF 2, you've moved away from that. Could you like explain the lessons learned there and, and what happened? Mm -hmm. Yes, so like in, in, in VStorefront 1, we started uh, with Magento. So Devante, the agency uh, that, 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 that we were at that time, uh, was mostly doing Magento. So of course we optimized mostly for Magento. Yeah. And the problem with Magento is that its APIs are pretty slow, especially when you have a big catalog. So we needed a way to overcome this. Uh, so what we did is we basically created our own uh, API gateway, but this API gateway has its own database. So we were taking all the products uh, and like static data from the Magento to our own Elasticsearch database and querying this and yeah. had synchronization. So whenever like we, we, we changed something in the admin panel, was updating the products in our Elasticsearch. And all the dynamic calls were going directly to Magento. So this way, we managed to overcome the slowness of, uh, of Magento REST API uh, on catalog. And with vStorefront Next, we are not focusing on Magento anymore. We, vStorefront Next is more like built for to be adopted in any platform uh, with the biggest level of like abstraction. And we started with commerce tools. And of course, like commerce tools is super fast. They're even guaranteeing the response times. Uh, so we didn't need that layer. We, we were able to directly call commerce tools. But of course, like for vStorefront next for Magento, we yeah, actually still have to use this. We still, so have to, we still have to use this. So you still need Elasticsearch if you're doing vStorefront 2 on Magento. Yes, um, but... But, but we changed it a little bit. So in vStorefront 1, Elasticsearch was a must, no matter what you, were, what, what, what you had. 
and in vSphere from Hex, even for Magento, uh, this is an optional feature. So we can either directly call Magento GraphQL, or yeah. you can use Storefront API, which is like an evolution of vSurfront API. So the, the rest version was vSurfront API for vSurfront 1, for vSurfront next. We have vSurfront API based on GraphQL. Uh, so this is an optional thing, an optional API gateway you could add to overcome the slowness, but this is not a must right now. So if you have a small product catalog, uh, you're not making, you, you probably don't need that. But if you have a huge product catalog or for some reason you, your catalog is slow, uh, then you are free to use this. And this is basically a single line of code to change in the config. So it's great that it's modular. The, the question I have and the reason I'm, I'm curious is I know Magento has their own PWA studio. Mm -hmm. And so if the underlying APIs are slow, what do they do in, in say, PWA Studio? Um, mm -hmm. So as far as I know, the, I mean, it might change, uh, yeah. but uh, as far as I know, they are not doing anything specific. So they are also calling the GraphQL API directly. And okay. I think they are more like counting on the third parties uh, to manage that than doing this natively. Interesting. I mean, so I remember, you know, back when you guys, it was three years ago, right? PWAs were, were really, really new. And I, at least then, and I still think it's true today, Magento, is it safe to say, has, you know, at least then had the most vibrant headless ecosystem, right? There was, there was you guys, there was, uh, I think, Deity, there was a few others. Mm -hmm. um, would, you, would it be safe to say, like, you know, or let me ask you, who do you think as an e-commerce platform has the most vibrant headless ecosystem right now? Yeah, I would say for sure Magento because yeah. they started pretty early, but also Shopware. And yeah. of course, like my view could be biased because Shopware's uh, headless PWA is based on Vistorefront. Uh, but I also have a very good insight into this community. So of course, I'm not talking about platforms that are like natively headless because they're obviously having the most vibrant community. So like commerce tools in there, there's actually no option to, to, to have it as a monolith. Uh, but when we are talking about the, you know, the monolithic platforms that are right now shifting into yeah. the headless space, for sure this is Magento, for sure this is Shopware. That makes sense. I mean, especially for Magento, there's, there's kind of very developer-driven community and it made a lot of sense that, especially three years ago, it was like, the mm -hmm. community that's doing PWAs the most is, is definitely uh, the Magento folks. Um, and, and so if somebody is using, uh, you know, Magento and doing it either with Vue Storefront or PWA Studio, they're going to need to potentially use Elasticsearch if the catalog is large, basically. Yeah, so like as, as far as I know, the Elasticsearch right now is, is also a part of Magento, at least the enterprise version. I'm not sure how it is on the, on the open source one, mm -hmm. but being completely honest, I wasn't tracking the updates for like yeah. since the end of the last year because we we're so much flooded with work that I was just focusing mostly on, on just the industry front. Got it. I mean, that's I know they're good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are good things happening uh, yeah. in the Magento community, especially regarding performance, because it's becoming super, super important to everyone. Uh, yeah. They are for sure, you know, approaching these problems from some angles, uh, but I'm not sure like how they're doing this right now. Got it. When I just 
take a step back and I think about, you know, the operationalization or the so-called like day two, the maintenance of this, it sounds like you got to manage, you can have your Magento server, which is, you know, PHP. You might have to worry now it sounds like about Elastic, which is Java. And then if you're doing server-side rendering, you're going to need node server. It's just like the complexity of what you're going to need to manage feels like it's it's getting more. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, exactly. And 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 that was the issue of vServerfront one actually that we wanted to overcome. So we wanted vServerfront next to be much simpler and all the complexity. Uh, of course, sometimes it's necessary. Like there are reasons behind this. Uh, so all the additional complexity should be optional. So by default, you have the simplest possible setup. If something there is not working for you, we should we should provide you a tool that you can use uh, and overcome this. So that's our strategy for vServerfront next. In vServerfront one, we, we thought that, okay, so that would be one size fits all and it works for Magento, but it didn't work for everyone. So maybe that's a, a good seg to, uh, what are like the popular hosting solutions for view storefront? What are you know people commonly using to host uh, and manage mm -hmm. on, along with their magenta? Or yeah, so of course of of course the first thing I want to mention is view storefront cloud. Uh, so we are hosting uh, we are hosting our like most demanding clients in our own cloud. We are providing them with SLAs with additional integrations and basically everything that they could need. So mm -hmm. we are trying to provide them out of the box and we are basing our cloud on Google Cloud. But as far as I know, especially for VServerfront one, one, most of our clients were using AWS. Also like the old version of VServerfront cloud uh, for Magento, mm -hmm. we were using OVH. It's pretty well known, especially uh, since I think last month when some of the servers got burned. Uh, I'm curious why you, could you tell us why you picked say, you know, Google Cloud for, you know, your underlying Yeah, so like they, we actually had a lot of discussions. At the beginning, we thought that we will choose AWS, mostly because that was kind of like a default for most of our clients in VServerfront 1. Uh, but then we also started talking with uh, other vendors and actually the Google Cloud offering, it sounds the most, uh, we, we, we thought that we have the biggest ma match uh, between and biggest similarities uh, between Google Cloud and our approach. Because first of all, Google is promoting performance. Uh, Google is promoting PWAs, so do we. Uh, also with AWS, there is a problem that, you know, it comes from Amazon and Amazon is basically, uh, you know, their strategy is to kill uh, shops because they are market they are a marketplace and, and Amazon they want, retail you mean. yeah 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 and they 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 want, they want to conquer in this marketplace so every shop that is actually not connected to Amazon and is not selling to Amazon is com is a competition for them so that's that wasn't like you know the main reason why we did that but we also thought about it in this way but we we chose Google Cloud mostly because it's aligned with what uh, we believe in and that they're very supportive, especially for startups. Yeah, I've we've encountered that. We've been on ourselves used AWS for a long time, but we definitely have had clients, you know, when we go through the procurement process where, you know, if they're in e-commerce or retail, they view Amazon's e-commerce business as competitive and they don't want to be funneling any money to the same organization. Uh, so I, I've heard that before as well. Um, what are the, you know, 
most popular e-commerce platforms as a backend to view storefront? I think we've mentioned a few of them, like mm -hmm. Magento, mm -hmm. Commerce Tools, Shopware. Do you have a, a sense of what the percentage breakdown is between those and what some of the other mm -hmm, platforms? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say like majority, like 90% or something like this uh, is, is on Magento okay. uh, because this is where we were for the most of the time. Right now we are entering commerce tools mm -hmm. and it, I think it's safe to say that most of the new commerce tools projects uh, will be handled uh, with view storefront. So I also expect a huge growth in this sector. And there is also shopware where it's still young and shopware mm -hmm. PW is still young project, not uh, like it, there are production stuff with that. One of them actually won on AWW awards. Uh, I, it's vintage area. They have amazing, amazing design, very like uh, innovative, I would say, and creative. But you know, they it's not ready yet for this huge adoption. But at the same time, Shopper is a platform which has, I think they have like one hundred thousand shops, something like this in total, including Shopper Five. So I would expect that Shopper will probably very quickly surpass Magento and Commerce Tools in terms of like number of installations. <clears throat> when we are talking about the you know the size of a client, then commerce tools wins for sure. Mm. Uh, but right now, like the sweet spot uh, between those is Magento. So we have, when we are talking about the projects that are live, uh, we have the biggest clients on Magento and also the biggest amount of projects on Magento. Interesting. And then of course, you know, when you go headless or composable commerce, there, there are other pieces to the puzzle. Um, so like in terms of, CMSs or search and payments, what are like the popular other tools that you guys are encountering that people integrate view storefront with? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a pretty standard setup. So like when we are talking about payments, so no, it's always things like agent are popping out. Uh, recently we started working with checkout.com, which is also a very interesting platform and they got insane funding. I think it was in total something like 450 millions or, or some, something like this. So really insane funding. And they have a pretty neat idea of basically having lambdas uh, that are handling payments. Uh, so when you're making an integration on the front end, you're talking only to this lambda and you really like, in theory, you don't care what backend platform uh, is behind this. The reality is a little bit different, but I, I think like, you know, they're just starting. Uh, and what matters to me is the idea and the vision. Mm -hmm. So we really like that. And we are cooperating with them pretty, <clears throat> pretty closely. Uh, regarding searches, of course, Algolia, uh, mm -hmm. of course, Bl Bloomridge. So mm -hmm. these are the two most popular right now. Previously, we also worked a little bit with Constructor.io. So they aren't that much popular. They are focused on AI search and personalization. Oh, interesting. And that, yeah, that would be about searches. And for CMSs, this is also pretty standard. So of course there are like this, this huge ones like content stack, like appliance, but also there are some smaller players like Storyblock. Uh, so Storyblock is actually the one that is most aligned with our mindset because they also believe in open source. They also have a huge community. They are also heavily investing in the VGS community. So whenever we see a popular VGS project, 
there's a huge chance that Storyblock is already supporting them. Uh, also, there are some new CMSs that actually came to us and created amazing integrations. And I think there's a lot of potential in them. For mm -hmm. example, Lexus CMS. So Lexus CMS is basically uh, a CMS focused on e-commerce and personalization. So they are pretty young. They are still lacking some features that others have, but they also have a great vision on making this personalization happen. And if they will succeed with what they want, I think they will be they will be very well-known player on the market. <clears throat> oh, interesting. I have to check them out. So um, we talked a lot about speed, uh, you know, Elasticsearch, Google as a backend. One of the things that's emerged in the last, I don't know, year or so is, is Jamstack as a way to mitigate slow APIs, specifically exporting your app as a static site so that it doesn't have to connect to a backend. Is that something that is common in the view storefront community? Do you see a lot of demand for that yet? Uh, yeah, so actually I'm pretty surprised because I don't think I see a lot of demand and a lot of questions, even though this is kind of like an obvious way to improve the performance. And I think like that the issue is probably evangelization and treating this as like kind of like a default way of using it. Uh, but like, I don't see a huge demand, but I also see that actually the adoption and demand is rising. It's not... Uh, it's still not the, the default choice for most of our customers, uh, but I, I would expect that to change like e even in months because we actually see a rise of Jamstack in the e-commerce space from the last year. So it's, it's, still, it's still growing like as well as headless, right? Do you have a sense for like, what's the right size for a site, maybe in terms of SKUs or products? for static sites versus fully dynamic? Mm, I wouldn't say that there are any limitations in, term, in terms of like the size of the product catalog. Uh, I would say maybe complexity would be something uh, and personalizations would be a good indicators that mm. maybe it is not for you. So if you have a lot of personalized content that cannot be cached and served statically, perhaps it's better to, to not do this. Yeah, that's a but I point. know that there are solutions that are actually allowing you to do like this edge rendering. So you're rendering only the parts that is uh, not personalized, then injecting the personalized content into this. Like, I think Uniform is doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Stitching it together at the edge. Um, that's interesting. So on the, the front end performance front, like how aware are your developers or your like people in your community of Core Web Vitals? Um, and is, is there anything that View Storefront can do to help improve uh, a site's Core Web Vital score? Or is that largely up to the implementer? Uh, so like what we, what we are providing out of the box is obviously like a pretty well optimized template. We also like in View Storefront 1, it was a huge problem because we had a very well optimized uh, template out of the box. But whenever a client was coming, you know, they could ruin all these micro optimizations with a single JavaScript library. Uh, and this is actually what was happening. And in the end, uh, <laughs> the funny thing was we weren't able to find a good case studies for our clients, except like maybe a few projects that were done uh, under our supervision, because it was so common for everyone to throw like megabytes of JavaScript on the front end, because there's like kind of like a misconception that if you're doing headless and if you're doing single page applications, 
it means that the whole business logic should be on the front end side. Mm. And, and it's definitely not like this, especially like when you're talking about mobile devices where, you know, like executing uh, JavaScript could be 10 times, sometimes a hundred times slower. So in Vistor from Next, uh, we wanted to make it kind of like, you know, we, we wanted to overcome this limitation. We wanted to find a solution. So in Vistor from Next, we actually have a middleware but it's not the typical middleware because usually you have a middleware to orchestrate the data and it can be used this way as well. But the primary reason why we added this middleware was to keep the extendability system, the integrations code and all the business logic on the server side. So the client side is only handling the UI. Uh, so we kind of like, you know, if you're following the good practices, uh, the best practices, and if you're doing everything in a way that we are recommending, shouldn't have issues with performance. Of course, you can't have a platform that is allowing like limitless flexibility and at the same time is guaranteeing anything, uh, but we're trying to find this balance. And of course, out of the box, everything is pretty well optimized, but it's, you know, it, it still won't prevent anyone from throwing like a free megabyte JavaScript uh, on the initial load. <laughs> Yeah, just input uh, from Lodash and everything will be faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or exactly. let marketing go crazy with the tag manager. Yeah. Uh, one more tag amongst friends. Yeah. Yes, uh, and, 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 and yeah, because you ask about the Core Web Vitals uh, as well. So, like, you know, we are very aware of that. Our customers are very aware of that. Developers are very aware of that. Everyone are very aware of that. There is everything is beautiful except one thing. No one really knows how to interpret Core Web Vitals. I mean, there are a few people who know, but generally speaking, whenever we talk to any clients, they totally don't get how to do this, especially when we are talking about this in a context of Lighthouse Score. So that's probably the most misleading uh, thing that Google introduced ever, really, because, you know, at, from the one point of view, that's an amazing tool because it boils down the whole performance into a single number. But that's also the reason why it's bad because you can't boil down the performance to a single number, uh, even if it has proper ways. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that the business people totally don't get how to interpret that. And they are like, I will give you an example of one of the clients that we had. And this is not a single situation. It happens regularly, maybe not to that degree, but very similarly. So we had a client and they were migrating from Magento to Vistorefront. And at that time they did some benchmarks with Lighthouse. Now they moved to, uh, now they moved to Vistorefront. And after I think one and a half year with Vistorefront, they decided, okay, we are now migrating to different platform, but we don't want to use Vistorefront anymore. And we are asking, like, why you don't want to use Vistorefront anymore? Because it's slower. So I did some benchmarking, of course. I checked that. Uh, and I, I talked with uh, those guys, also Google talked with those guys. And the situation looks like this. They are always looking at the Lighthouse score as a number. So this number was higher when they were benchmarking this, like, two years ago. And right now it's lower. So obviously they think that the performance is worse. Another thing is that they are using the lab data, not the field data. If you look at the field data and compare it against like Adidas or Nike, it's actually performing better than Adidas and Nike. But the score is like around, 
I don't know. It, it was something around 12. Yeah, uh, not surprising. Like that exactly mirrors what I've seen where the lab data and the field data might be wildly different. And then in the last two years, especially the, the way that Lighthouse formulates the score has really changed. It's gone yeah. more towards front end. And like kind of ironically, you know, there's, there's the, the front end component of Core Web Vitals is very different. It's actually not really performance oriented. It's more experience oriented with CLS and FID, mm -hmm. which is normally a problem. So there's stuff coming and going all different directions. And in the end, you know, you got that one number up at the top, which is like this year's score, but that's not actually the number that Google ranks you by. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's a total mess. Yeah, exactly. Especially that, you know, two years ago, almost every page was scoring around 90. And right yeah. now it's almost impossible to score yeah. 90 when you have, you know, when you have a pretty complex website. Also what clients are don't get is that you don't, like 100 is not the goal 100 is actually the goal when you have a very simple website but performance is and features you know they are going in the opposite directions yeah. so we always need to find the balance between features and between performance if you have a very complex website that is scoring let's say 60 uh and that's a good score if you have a very simple block that is scoring 60 that's a very bad score. So, you know, things are not white or black in here. And I think like what, what, what we are missing right now is evangelization, how to interpret those scores, what things are important for the business, what things are not important for the business, because the lab test is basically only re relevant for developers when you want to check like, okay, so this is how it was, this is how it is, and it's better right now. I, I think that's like the only, uh, use case for that. Maybe also to see, okay, so maybe some of the metrics are obviously uh, ex ex exceeding the, the, recommended, uh, the recommended scores. But basically like the only thing that should matter to business is lab is field data. And if field data is good, then everyone should be happy. Yeah, yeah. I like how you put that. Um, That's I, one I, of the I, toughest things there. Yeah. You know, with, with Lighthouse, because it's, it's a, it's a calculated score. So it's kind of subjective. And so if the formula changes over time, there's no way of studying your performance longitudinally, at least with Core Web Vitals, you know, it's just seconds. Layout shift is a little bit more abstract, but you know, at least first input delay today will be the same thing as first input delay two years from now. It's just milliseconds. Yeah, exactly. And if you take, you know, if you go to the uh, page speed insights and if you benchmark the top websites, like Nike, AliExpress, uh, Adidas, all, all, all of that sort, you will see that the score actually is low for all of them, uh, but the field data is rather high. And this is why they're not optimizing further because they don't need that. They are already satisfying their customers with a good performance. So there's no point in you know optimizing for 100 and there's no like benefit from that if majority of your users is still getting a, a good performance. And also, you know, performance, also has to be put it in a context. So if majority of your customers, uh, if, if you're selling luxury goods, you could expect your customers to have a better devices, then performance is a little bit less important. Maybe you can put a little bit more features, maybe the analytics and you know tracking user behavior would be much more beneficial for you than optimizing like uh, loading time a little bit if most of your users is still using the, you know, the latest iPhone, but if you have users uh, that are using mid-range phones, low-end phones, 
then it's becoming super important because they could easily get frustrated. Uh, the phones could hang. Uh, also, the network connectivity is not always so good. So, like, you know, there are so many variables in there that saying that, you know, whenever you see a low score and saying that this is a bad score, it's it's not the whole it's story. a major major yeah. major misconception yeah yeah it has a lot of confounders uh the one piece of bad news i'm gonna disagree with is i this whole thing about like scores changing over a year like the lighthouse score keeps getting revised they've said that they're gonna revisit the core vital score every year so i feel like we're, we're still gonna be playing a, a, a dance a little bit it's like ECMAScript, script, we're gonna have CWV 2022, 2023. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's probably what's gonna happen. Um, well, we're we're uh, actually uh, at time, but just to wrap up here, you know, what are you most excited about, or what should our listeners be most excited about that's on the coming roadmap for VTOFM? Yeah, so like obviously that like the thing that I'm excited the most about is the official launch of VSurfer Next. So we actually, you know, it's on our GitHub for more than a year, but this is how we work. We are pushing things out very, very early, even if they are not even on the beta phase. So everyone can get familiar with that. They can give our, us feedback, etc. But 20th of April is the day when we are hosting VSurfer Summit. So this is the first ever uh, conference that we as Vistorfront uh, are doing and we already have 19 speakers from different backgrounds, uh, different tech vendors talking about their integrations with Vistorfront, uh, people from our community talking about different parts of the ecosystem. So this is super, super, uh, super exciting to me. And there we want to announce, uh, it's not a secret, uh, there we want to announce that Vistorfront Next is finally ready uh, to use. Awesome. So, Where should people go to sign up for the summit? Yeah, so I think the easiest way is to go to our website, uh, vsurfon.io, and at the top, you will have a link uh, where you can sign into vsurfon summit. It's free for everyone. Uh, so if you could join, join. Great. And then if people want to try it out, I assume they go to vsurfon.io and, and mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so we have a vsurfon CLI, basically a single command to install the CLI, another command to set up a project, and then 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 you can try it out. Okay, and then if uh, people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, I suggest uh, reaching me out on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty addicted to it, so I, I'm answering very fast. Uh, my handle is Fliorakowski. Also, you can find me on our community Slack on vsurfron, so slack.vsurfron.io. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for joining us on JavaScript Jam. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you, really. Same here. Thank you. See you later. Thank you.